Hey guys, this is Sarah. And this is Journey. And we are back with the Outlive for our second episode. Um, this episode is going to be a book review on essentialism. Journey and I both just recently read Essentialism by Greg McGowan. And we have a few takeaways that we like to chat about. And we're going to first of all get into some listener questions and updates, as always. Um, and then we'll get into the episode about essentialism. Today we're coming at you from two different states so we are doing a little experimental phone recording um and hopefully we'll be able to do it like this every week um the audio is terrible yeah we're sorry but we're doing our best we won't we we won't have any more alarming beeps as transitions we heard that that was a no so (laughs) at least thank you for your feedback yeah no (laughs) we're doing great so yeah, um, let's get into updates. So Journey's in California right now. I am in Corvallis, Oregon. Um, in terms of me, I just finished my second practice, my second official practice for um, those of you don't know, I play college tennis. Um, so we just finished our second practice today and that was super fun. We had team lift this morning. That was in McMinnville. So I just drove back to Corvallis today since I've no other reason to be McMinnville right now. Um, our classes don't start for another couple of weeks. So I am just chilling. I'm going to make some maybe oatmeal chocolate chip cookies this afternoon. Mm, I think we're going to have like salmon green bowls for dinner. And that's pretty much it. I'm still on my little uh, spin kick. So I'll probably go to spin tomorrow morning. But other than that, I'm kind of chilling. I want a salmon grain bowl for dinner. It sounds so good. <laughs> I'm excited about it. Um, Costco salmon. Yeah, that's honestly the best salmon. <laughs> um, I am back in California, like Sarah said. I'm just still doing my little running thing. Went back to the Pittsburgh gym for the first time today, which was nice. Um, I had to like, I had a seven o'clock meeting this morning. So I had to do my run at like, 520 um which was kind of a bummer but it's fine got it in um I also like got in really late because my travel day was really bad yesterday um so I did sleep like four hours and (sighs) now I've got a little grind doesn't stop for Junior Lipscomb the grind absolutely does not stop my room looks like a pigsty because I've unpacked um all over the floor and yeah, that's where I'm at in terms of updates. Uh, like maybe thriving. we can get into our listener question. Yeah. Um, this week, we've just got one listener question um, from the last episode. We had one person ask, what are our, our academic goals for the year? Um, so, Joni, do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, so, for me, I'm... Or I think it was just in gen- to... our academic goals in general. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I am double majoring and I'm also trying to graduate into seven semesters. So for this year, I'm going to say just because it's like, I don't know, it was a New Year's thing. Um, For this year, I'm trying to get completely on track with both of my majors to graduate next spring um, and also have good grades throughout it so that I can get nominated for honors and start writing my thesis at the end of the year. So basically like finishing up my majors so that I can start my theses kind of towards the end of the year 
and building towards that is my academic goals for the year. Nice. And what are you majoring in? I'm majoring in environmental policy and political studies. Nice. And what do you want to do? <laughs> Great question. TBD. <laughs> TBD. We don't know yet. No, fine. <laughs> yeah, that is totally fine. Um, kind of like Jenny, I'm on somewhat, not actually very similar at all, but I am a biochem major at Linfield and I also will be done hopefully in seven semesters. So also go to school last semester and probably just be playing tennis and chilling. I don't know really what it's going to look like yet, but, um, yeah, majoring in biochem. I'm just trying to get all my prerequisites done. Um, cause I'm going to want to apply to PA school at some point and yep, that's what I want to do. And right now I'm just vibing with tennis coaching and school and, um, yeah, I don't know. School's fun. I'm going to be sad when it's over probably, but it will be good. We're both academic weapons, in case you don't know us. Truly. <laughs> we like to refer to ourselves. Not <laughs> only are we academic um, weapons. Athletes, we are academic weapons. Yeah. That's true. Anyways, that was side But <laughs> if anybody else has um, any questions, questions they'd like to submit, go ahead and uh, yeah, there's a little into our box, DMs. actually. If you listen, if you listen on Spotify, there's a little box where you can submit right where you're listening. So you could submit one right now as you're listening. Super easy. Or slide into our DMs or email us at theolife at gmail.com. Yeah. We would love many, that. Many ways to get, get a hold of us here. Um, but yeah, anyways, that's our question for the day. We are going to get into the podcast because we have lots to talk about. And this is a very good book. So let's get into it. Okay, so like I said, Jerry and I both recently read the book Essentialism by Greg McGowan, and for this podcast, we're kind of just gonna, um, I have my like top takeaways, and then Journey um, has hers and like her input as well, and so we're just gonna kind of have a conversation about what we liked about it and like what we're gonna bring forward, um, kind of what made us think a little bit. Um, so for those of you that, that don't know, Essentialism is basically this book where Greg McGowan lays out um, how to determine like what is truly important in life and what you should be spending your time on and what you should be working towards versus those things that like aren't important, aren't moving you in the right direction. Um, so the book is divided into like three parts, I guess. Um, there's the first part is essence. And that's just basically like how an essentialist would think and stuff like that. And then the second part is called explore. Um, and that's basically how you yourself determine what is essential versus what is non-essential. And then the third part is called execute. And that's basically just how you can set your life up um, and how you can like organize your life in a way that makes achieving what is truly essential, what is truly important to you, like easier and more efficient. Um, yeah, Journey, do you have anything to add in terms of like just a very broad idea of what the book was about? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. Greg McGowan kind of, um, I guess, approaches the whole book um, through a lens of like what would an essentialist do versus what would a non-essentialist do? Um, so like throughout those sections that Sarah described, he's kind of like comparing a non-essentialist way of doing it and then presenting his like essentialist um I guess like alternative or mindset 
Um, and basically, um, I don't know, you might've said this in the intro, but the whole kind of premise of it or his little like catchphrase is like, essentialism is the undisciplined pursuit of more. Um, and so that I feel like kind of just is another way to encompass the whole book. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's a good thing to add that um, it is kind of nice that the whole time he compares the essentialist and the non-essentialist because then you can also get an idea of what not to do, which is sometimes easier than- Or I guess like non-essentialism, yeah. Yeah. Non-essentialism is the undisciplined pursuit of more and then essentialism is the disciplined pursuit of less. Yes. I just phrased it wrong, but yeah. Yeah, no, it was super, super cool. So yeah, um, I have my- things I guess do you want to go back and forth or do you want me to just say kind of what I thought was what I let my top kind of takeaways um you can go ahead and say yours and then if they're similar to mine I can just piggyback and if not I'll just add mine after yours okay sounds good um okay and then these kind of just went in order of like when I read them in the book I would highly 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 recommend this book um there's definitely a lot less on here than there is in the whole book so if you want kind of a broadened version of these takeaways read the book um okay the first thing my first top takeaway from essentialism is that we may not always have control over our options but we always have control over the choices that we make um and i like that because it re it gives you more of a sense of control like Sometimes you feel like nothing is within your control and everything is just like you're just struggling and you have no really way to, um, I don't know, succeed, whatever you want to call it. Um, but at the end of the day, we can talk about this in our last podcast. The only thing you control is your reaction to what happens and how you choose to respond. So um, that just kind of, gives you that idea of there's more within your control than you might think and also that other idea of like you don't want to waste your energy like you don't want to waste your matchsticks um on things that are out of your control yeah I kind of think especially for like um and this is the point that I was gonna make but I can just kind of throw it in here I think especially for people who really like to have control um like I guess generally called like type a people um it's feels really overwhelming when things feel out of your control and so like having that kind of added layer um could really kind of help you like just like remove that additional stress of just not having control when you think of the world kind of through that framework um and I think something that I liked about this book that I feel like you don't get a lot is like the I guess like validation of what it means to like be like type a and kind of breaking that down whereas I feel like a lot of the times in society you hear about like oh you have to work harder you have to do more you have to push yourself harder or control more things or blah 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 and in this one he came at it from kind of like the other side being like that's hard for some people but what's hard for the other people is undoing that and is like yeah you know, like looking more at what is within your control and then letting everything else just go. Um, and so it's kind of like a, a paradox of um, like capitalizing on the control, but then like letting go of everything that's not there. And I just feel like you don't like 
hear that a lot. Yeah, I agree. One thing I like you said was he geared this book more towards those like type A people. Um, and then one thing he touched on a lot too was like the idea of like hard, like just working harder and harder, harder isn't always going to like produce, um, get you closer to your goals. Like not every type of hard work exact like comes out the same. Not every type of hard work. Mm -hmm produces the same outcome there's certain types of work that produce like I think it was like 20% of work produces like 80% of the results so like the idea isn't always like to work harder that's not always the the answer to getting closer to your goals sometimes it's about simplifying the process or like cutting things out of your life um and that's what's going to help you get you closer to your goals yeah definitely um okay the next thing I really liked from this book was how it kind of touched on the importance of like knowing or being confident in what you value and in what order specifically um basically the idea behind this is that if you are clear about what you value and then the order that those values come in that provides a framework for kind of what to do when your values are at odds or like determining what you might have to give up in certain situations um or like determining the types of things you want to take on and chase or, like opportunities um, like I said, it kind of provides a clear direction and it makes like making, like, sometimes it's hard to determine what the right decision is. Um, but if you have a value set in the right order, it kind of makes that effortless because you just know what is more valuable than the other. Yeah. When he talks about the trade-offs, I thought that was really interesting. Um, it's, I think one quote I have here that I wrote down is he says um, like talking about like opportunities as you have to think of them as trade-offs like you can't just do everything but the quote here is the reality is saying yes to any opportunity by definition requires saying no to several others which I think kind of speaks to the like understanding your priorities and where they fall because like and like how they align with your values because you can't do everything so you do have to like choose what is actually going to come first yeah so like I guess an example of this is like if you have a job and then you get a call and like I don't know someone in your family like passed away or something I don't know um and you're like well it's really important this like day is really important and like my job is really important today and I can't leave the like my work um if you have that clear value set of like what comes first like is it family or is it work like that's not a hard decision but if you're not clear about your values, or your priorities, like, then that is a hard decision of like, well, do you like leave and do you go be with your family or like, do you stay and like do your work? Cause that's more important to you. So um, that's kind yeah. of an example of that. Um, one thing it made me like think about was like long-term prioritization is like what values do you considered to be more important than others but then like short-term prioritization is like that helps you to identify like what is important to be doing in the moment right now versus like what can be done like tomorrow so like if you have like a to-do list like what are the important like urgent things that need to get done and what are the things that can wait um and that's not always aligned with your value set so you can use it both in the long term and short term yeah I think one of the really good points he makes here is like it's not even so much like which do you 
value over another thing it's like the non-essentialist as he calls it like thinking that they can do everything like thinking they can work and prioritize family at the same time or like in the short term if they're like given a few projects at work like thinking that like you can do them all at once um when in reality like you're just going to be stretched thin um and not be able to like commit to anything or not be able to give adequate attention to your family and to work and so um, he write, he wrote that a non-essentialist approaches every trade-off by asking, how can I do both? Essentialists ask the tougher but ultimately more liberating question, which problem do I want? So it's like mm-hmm. embracing the trade-off as a, like, I don't know, um, an understanding that like you do have to have those values in order because you can't always do multiple things and like do them well or in a way that's yeah. sustainable um and, yeah like yeah. you can do multiple things you're just like you're gonna be spread thin you're not gonna be able to be successful at any of them really and mm-hmm. then you're just never gonna feel like you're achieving your goals yeah I think that one thing that I disagreed with in this book um was like the like just to be clear I really enjoyed this book and I agreed with most of it and it actually is like really helped me like this week in particular make a lot of decisions but one thing that I did disagree with was in this kind of section about these trade-offs and making decisions um he was talking about how he basically like divided like what does the non-essentialist think what does the essentialist think and the non-essentialist thinks I can do both and asks how can I do it all and the essentialist asks what's the trade-off I want to make and what can I go big on and then he says like in order to be successful, you have to kind of like cut off some of your energy that you're putting towards certain things. Um, And I think that there's kind of like a black and white definition of success in this book Um, and like success just being like thriving at the certain thing you wanna thrive in. Um, Or like he also discusses it in terms of like happiness, like you're not gonna be happy in anything you're doing if you're spread a little bit too thin um I think that there's a little bit more depth to that than comes off because I think that a lot of people are really happy just kind of like going through life dipping their toes in different things and not quite like Mm -hmm. committing to anything and they are like successful but maybe just not in the like kind of standard way that we define success um I think you can definitely be like like fulfilled like doing multiple things right. I think you can be fulfilled I just don't I think you're gonna have a much harder time being su- successful in one field if you're doing multiple things like quote-unquote successful. right but I think a lot no, of people right. can be exactly. happy it's fulfilled. like the, and like I think in that sense like you can define your life as a success if you're happy and fulfilled um, right it's just like you're not going to be like traditionally like you're not gonna be the best at know, anything maybe you're not gonna be the best at anything and like maybe that doesn't matter and so like maybe you don't need that definition of success like riding in the back of your head but yeah no that was just an interesting kind of thought that I had in that section no I agree with you I think that like like success in our world and fulfillment are definitely two different things um and that's why you just need to have your own definition of success um yeah totally yeah um okay moving on uh the next thing I really liked was he Greg McGowan touched on the importance of spending time to and creating space to explore think and reflect and this kind of goes along with what we were just talking about um kind of using this time and space as a way to help you discern 
he called it the vital few from the trivial many. So the vital few are those things that are truly important. And the trivial many are all these things that maybe feel important, but really like just don't matter at all. So you give yourself the space to time and reflect and like that can be journaling, that can be meditation, that can be just like going on a walk and thinking about your life. Uh, just giving yourself the ability to reflect on things versus just going through the motions day after day after day without really thinking about what are you doing and why are you doing it. Totally. I think that that one, I didn't even, I totally forgot about that part in the book. I did not write it down as one of my top three, but I really liked it. Um, and it felt very resonant to me, like in not even so much a sense of like, I do think it's important to day to day, stop and reflect and think about what you're doing. But in a very broad scheme, like I, not so much like by plan, but I ended up taking a, a gap semester after my first semester of college and literally like my whole life plan changed during it because I, it was like during COVID and I realized that I'd been just like going through the motions of like high school, college, whatever, whatever. And it wasn't exactly the track that I wanted to be on. And like, I wasn't doing the things I wanted to do. And I took like whatever, if you include the summer, like nine months off of school to stop and look at what I was doing and decided that I wanted to be on a different track. And I would have pretty much wasted my whole undergrad just going yeah. through the motions had I not stopped and done that. Um, but because I was able to like get that space and perspective, I came into it and like, I think I got a lot more out of it because I reflected and was like, oh, here I am like getting some distance and seeing that this is just, you know, like me kind of like flowing with the waves of my life or whatever, but not actually what I want to be doing. Yeah, I 100%. That's, I didn't, I truly didn't think like a gap year or anything like that was super valuable um, until recently, because you're not the only person that I know that kind of taking a gap year, taking time off of school in between high school and college, where their whole basically idea of their career path has changed. And they realized like, they would be super miserable doing that thing that they thought they were going to do right out of high school. And now they've had this experience and like, they know they have a much more clear idea of what they want to do. And that's only because they had that time to reflect and not just like going, 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 going like one thing after another. Um, totally. So, yeah, I think um, too. Oh yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say like creating that space um, and like, just kind of like whether it's every day, whether it's once a week, like just kind of weaving it into your life. Um, mm -hmm. I think is very important in like a structured way. Yeah, he wrote on one of the pages, which kind of really stuck with me. It was like the guy, this guy wanted to quit his job for like five years, but he never had, he wasn't really sure if he did or not, but he kind of didn't feel happy. Yeah. And he just never had like a day to sit with it and think about if he actually wanted it. So he just kept going through his job. So he didn't have time to stop and wasted five years of not wasted. He, I'm sure it wasn't waste, yeah. but like regretted five years of his life where he, knew he didn't really want to be there but he didn't really have the time to actually consider it so I think it's always valuable to if you can have any time like structure in some introspection and perspective and reflection time and I don't know if you have more to say on this or if I can say no what yeah I've I've kind of just been like throwing in some of my um takeaways into yours yeah so hopefully okay. it will well, just I blend in that way to, um yeah. but yeah, I just kind of off of this one, I wanted to throw in mine because I think it yeah. kind of stems from it. 
um, is he also mentioned taking time to play. Um, yeah. And so I knew you were going to say that. That's, that's why just, I didn't say it. <sighs> I know. I knew you know I was going to say that one um, because I didn't do this until literally like last year. Um, and my life has become so much better because of it. And I think he basically do you want to like describe like, yeah like what play means yeah so play is I'm gonna see if I can find his definition what he has under his chapter seven in case you're looking at the book um play it says embrace the wisdom of your inner child a little nonsense now and then is cherished by the wisest men is a raw doll quote um but basically it's talking about how like as kids you're not taught how to play you just you just do it and you enjoy yourself and it's like supernatural to you but somehow you well not somehow you you lose that as you basically get thrown into this like extremely structured lifestyle as you grow up and are told you want to like you know fast track your education and you want to get on this path or this path or this path and then play is kind of a a waste of time because you're not you know actively like like I was worried when I started reading this book that this book was going to be very anti because it's like cut out everything in your life that's not valuable and focus on what's essential. And so all my notes from like the first like 30 pages was me being all prejudgmental, expecting this book to be like, don't play because you're cutting out everything that's not essential. And I was like super critical at first until he kind of like touched upon this and was like, we learned that this idea of play becomes trivial play as just like exploration creativity something without like a purpose or a goal um but something that you are just kind of enjoying for like the imagination of it or the joy of it anything you do that's not really for a means to an end but you like it um yeah is like a critical activity for your brain um because your brain needs that stimulation and you're like I don't know just like I feel like it is really critical to your happiness and to refreshing you to come back to work and to take care of people and all the things that we tend to think are essential um just because play isn't like a structured you know thing on your on your calendar like maybe it is maybe I it is on mine because I try to incorporate it but like he kind of stresses that that is something critical to engage with and it kind of fires up the brain. Yeah, I think it like incorporating things that like you just enjoy doing in your life. Um, I agree. I think that they're refreshing and they give you that sense of like kind of like a little break almost from your day-to-day life. But not only that, I think that doing those types of things where you don't really have like a sole purpose help you figure out like the types of things that you like and the types of things that you're good at. And I think that can provide more clarity in the rest of your life. Totally. And if you don't really know where to start, he kind of says like, go back to what you liked as a child and like, try that again. Like you probably still like it, like what excited you and how can you like apply that? And like, for me, I think about like last, like my first year at school, I was like, oh, I need to join all the clubs that are going to like look great on my resume and that I'm going to be like making a difference in the world. So I was in like divest in the environmental club and, you know, like Planned Parenthood and like all the different clubs that like align with my values. And it was really exhausting and I wasn't really able to do anything for any of them. And so I quit all but the one that is the most important to me and that I can dedicate myself to. And instead I joined circus club 
as another club because as a kid I did circus camp and I liked doing acrobatics and so now I do that and then I'm able to give a lot more to the one club that I do like that's good on my resume and is good for the world you know yeah you truly cannot fill from an empty cup so just keeping that in mind I think that like incorporating that play in things that make you happy help fill up your cup um totally moving on um I have a few things um the next thing I wrote down was that I really liked the best asset we have for making contribution to the world is ourselves by under investing in ourselves we damage this asset um and the biggest thing that Greg McGowan touched on in this I guess in this um part of the book was like lack of sleep because that's the bit he said that was like the biggest way people damage the asset that is their selves um is by undersleeping um and it says like when you me coming off of like a three-hour night (laughs) yeah um when you lack sleep you're barely your brain is barely functioning when you're awake essentially see sleep is necessary for operating at high levels of contribution more of the time and many true essentialists know that their healthy sleep habits give them a true competitive advantage so a lot of essentialists like take, and you probably know people like this that take pride in like the amount of sleep that they get um but I really could not agree more with this I um like just personally like I am a completely different person when I have enough sleep versus when I don't it's mostly like when I have enough sleep and when I have enough food um but I just like I don't really love the person that I am <laughs> sometimes when I don't have enough sleep <laughs> and like I don't like I can feel it. Um, And then one thing, one more thing he said was like one more hour of sleep is several more hours of productivity. So that is also one thing that really hit hard that I very much agree with. Yeah, totally. I agree. Um, I didn't write about that bit. um, Mostly because I can't um, (sighs) say I, I do it, but it's definitely important and I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. It's really, really hard. Like I mean, especially like during our college season, so it's not like prime time to be getting a lot of sleep. But then again, like I don't think any time in your life really is. And I think it's just like figuring out how much on a scale of like how much do you want to prioritize it. Um, But that was just a very good reminder. Uh, One thing he also said was that sleep enhances our ability to make connections, which I thought was interesting because I've never Mm. heard it before, but it makes a lot of sense. Like if you think about like, when you're like perky and you want to talk to people and you want to socialize and you're not just like in this like funk because you haven't slept I think that is when the most connections are made so that was something that I had never really heard before but it makes sense yeah totally um I can say my I have one last okay um okay so I can go ahead with mine and maybe this is one of yours too um Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up that wasn't one of the things that you said was um, saying no and setting boundaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote down about the boundaries. Um, this was my favorite part, um, mostly because it was like almost like a little guidebook on how to say no, yeah. which is something that I had to do a few times this last week because I was had a few job offers that I really wanted and had to say no to, which was really sad. And then I had a few things that I didn't want to do but I felt like I should. And I also had to say no to. So I said no, like four times this last week. And no was really hard for me. (laughs) And some of the things that he wrote that 
really stuck with me in this sense um, were separate the decision from the relationship. So by you saying no, that's you denying that request, not denying that person. Um, that's important to me. Saying no gracefully doesn't have, have to mean using the word no. So saying like, I just don't have the capacity right now. Um, I wish I could help you, but I can, you know, pass you off to this other person. So you don't actually have to say no. Um, focusing on the trade-off, like what are you, what are you sacrificing by saying yes? Because um, there's always a trade-off, like you said earlier. And then make your peace with the fact that saying no often requires trading popularity for respect. If you're my fellow people pleaser, that can be hard. Um, but Sarah actually brought that up to me the other day when I was talking about my job. She was like, because I was like, oh, well, what if the people that like work there don't like me anymore and I come across them and, you know, they're important for my networking or whatever. And she was like, well, they'll respect you. And I was like, oh, great point. Because um, when yeah. you say no, I mean, like, yeah. people know that you have your priorities. Yeah, that was like one thing that, like both Journey and I, I think have done recently, which is like saying no, but like being like, I'm sorry, like I don't have the flexibility in my schedule. I don't have the capacity at the time. Like I would love to do this, but I just don't have the flexibility to take this on. Like I'll let you know if that changes because that just shows that like mm -hmm. you are very serious about what, what you are doing and that you aren't trying to take on too many things or get overwhelmed or like try to give your energies right. that you don't actually have the room for. Exactly. And even if you don't want to do it, like, and if they don't respect you no, for that, oh, then they obviously just didn't care. Exactly. And then the last little bit here that I wanted to mention was um, something that I learned actually when I was teaching at Montessori Preschool, because it's one of the ways that they are working with young kids as they're learning to speak, um, to communicate. So the way that we communicated to them and they were taught to communicate to each other um, was saying, instead of just no, um, you are welcome to X, I am willing to Y. Um, so yeah. like an example that he gave in the book was, you are welcome to borrow my car. I'm willing to make sure the keys are here for you. By this, you're also saying, I won't be able to drive you. Um, so you're focusing on what you will be able to do as opposed to what you won't be able to do. And so I think that's just really helpful, like in general and for all ages. Yeah, I think it shows that you really care when like, if you're trying to turn down someone, by just saying like, hey, I can't help you with this, but like, this is something I can do for you because it's not like just saying no, like you're not like trying to help or you don't care at mm -hmm. all. It's like giving kind of like an alternative, like I want to help any way I can. I just like don't have the capacity to help in this way. Right. Um, 100%. Yeah, totally. I really like all that. Like you said, yeah, I did write that down. Um, and then kind of going along with that, there's like boundaries. Um, he did have a section, I know I said this in my New Year's resolution, buffers and boundaries and just how to create mm -hmm. buffers um there he had basically three steps to create buffers which are like that time in between so you don't feel like you're just going from one thing to another to another and like not giving yourself enough time or anything like that um the first thing he said was um oops the first thing he said was to use um extreme preparation so that's just like meal prepping that is getting ready earlier before you need to leave stuff like that the second thing was add this is, is something that I could very much implement and I should and I'm trying to 
um, add 50% <laughs> to your time estimate. So however long you think something is going to take you, add 50% to that. Um, he talked about the planning fallacy, is, which is basically when people underestimate how long a task will take them, even though they've done it before a million times, which cannot describe me better. Um, I'm consistently just like, <laughs> late what? I'm consistently doing things that I know will take too long and I don't have enough time for them but I think that I somehow will be able to manage to get them done anyways and I just cannot so um that is something that I think I could like numerically implement which is just adding 50 percent to whatever time estimate I have and then one more thing that he talked about was conducting scenario planning which is basically just like planning for like uncertainty planning for like things to go wrong everything is not always going to go right. And to plan that everything is always going to go right and everything is going to, always going to go to order um, is just basically setting yourself up for failure. So just planning for different scenarios, planning that like there's going to be traffic, planning that somebody is going to like be like holding you up at wherever you're like trying to leave from, planning for that, those extra mm -hmm. things and not planning for like perfect um, is something that I think I yeah. can also very much implement to create more of a buffer. So those are buffers. And then the last thing I really liked from the book was, this is probably one of the biggest things I took from the book was making decisions by design rather than default. So like using systematic tools to mm -hmm. set up your life, which is basically a, a nice way of saying like using routines within your life. Um, basically routine allows us to execute the essentials or whatever that is for you on autopilot. So that will like, I guess, decrease your energy expenditure. And that also will free up the kind of mental capacity to focus on other things. So the more of these things you deem essential, the everyday things that you deem essential that you can just implement into your daily routine, um, the more kind of energy that you'll have to be doing other things and focusing on like other more important things. Um, so yeah, I think that like, along with that, it's just like, practicing environment design um so kind of just setting up your environment so that like achieving the essentials is easy so it's like laying your clothes out the night before you go to the gym or like I don't know yeah it's terrible like I guess like making your food beforehand stuff like that um that makes like those easy those like decisions of like what am I going to eat for lunch what am I going to wear tomorrow like those tiny things that sometimes can hold people back from like going to the gym from like eating a good lunch those tiny things are not even decisions you have to make anymore because you already prepared it um so yeah. and then just like removing obstacles so like you can add in those things and then you can remove obstacles so like what are those things that are holding you back from um achieving the essential things in your life and one thing that he talked about was like kind of an analogy was identifying the slowest hiker so like if there was a hiking trip and there was like a one little boy who was like the slowest and was holding up the whole group instead of like just trying to like tell that hiker to like speed up or like being mad that the hiker was like slow they're like how can we like move things over how can we take some of the like pound off some of the like stuff out of his backpack to make him lighter so that he can go faster mm -hmm. and we can take on that extra stuff so it's not always like removing it completely. It's sometimes it's just like shifting things around. Um, but I like the idea of making the like one-time investments that, which are basically like implementing things into your routine that make the rest of your day go like much smoother. So that was the last thing that I really liked. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think, I think we kind of touched on that too, a little bit in our last episode, if you didn't listen to it on setting goals and sticking to habits. Um, I feel like that really aligns with like sticking to habits part. And like, we talk about some good strategies if you're, if you're intrigued by this part, um, in our last episode, (laughs) episode one. Um, so you can reference that if you want some good strategies for that, but I do think that's a really important, um, yeah. And along with like removing obstacles, along with removing obstacles is like, that's where saying no to like those opportunities comes in because obstacles can be like things you said yes to that. Now you have to spend time doing that maybe aren't going to move you in the right direction. So yeah, that was essentialism by Greg McGowan. Highly, highly recommend. It's not, it's like a super easy read. Um, It's not hard or long or anything like that. So I would highly recommend. Yeah. If you do read it, let us know your thoughts. Um, yeah. I think that there's definitely like a lot to be said about it. And like, I definitely really, really liked it. And then also had some things that, like I said, that I disagreed with. And I want to know, I think it'd be really interesting to like hear what everybody thinks. So yeah, let, let us know. Um, or if you've read it before, your takeaways if you read it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But anyways. Yeah. Thank you for listening. As always, we will be answering listener questions every week. So submit yours. Um, like us, review us, leave us five stars, whatever you need to do. Um, but yeah, we're really happy to be doing this. Like I said, every Monday we'll be coming out with a new podcast. So we will see you guys next week. Stay tuned. <laughs>